Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Royals Review Radio, and I'm your host, Max Reaper, uh, one of the co-hosts, at least. I'm the editor of Royals Review, and joining me is my co-host, Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing tonight? Good. Glad to be back with, uh, I know it's been a little bit, so glad that we're all back on the, the podcast kick again. Yeah, I think we're going to try to do this podcast on a more regular basis, just uh, probably like once every other week in the off season, and then kick it up to maybe once a week uh, when baseball is back to being played, so uh, look for look for us on your uh, wherever you find podcasts. Uh, yeah, it'll be good to be talking about Royals baseball again. Um, it's it's probably going to be a slow off season for the Royals this year, uh, but that doesn't mean we have we don't have some you know interesting things to talk about. Uh, we, we'll talk a little bit about some of the roster moves the Royals made so far, as far as managing the forty man roster. Uh, we'll also preview a little bit of the winter meetings coming up. Uh, in December, uh, but first, I, kind of the biggest news the Royals have made so far this offseason, it didn't even involve one of their players. It was hiring uh, former Cardinals manager Mike Matheny as a special advisor to the club, uh, kind of a front office role, vague job description, I think. Uh, and, you know, Matheny was, of course, the, the Cardinals manager for about six and a half seasons before he was fired midseason this year. Uh, won a National League pennant with the Cardinals, won 56% of his games, uh, you know, won over 90 games four years in a row, his first four seasons. Uh, didn't have as much success the last couple of years and uh, really kind of fell into uh, disregard among Cardinals fans. I, I have a couple of Cardinals fans as friends, and when I told them the Royals were considering hiring Matheny, uh, they, I got a lot of laughs and <laughs> derision. So, Sean, what do you... What do you think about the Matheny hiring? I know Sean Thornton had a piece about, you know, let's let's not, you know, panic yet. Yeah. Uh, but what's kind of your impressions about Matheny <clears throat> as a manager? Well, I hope it's – yeah, I think we're all hoping it's, it's non-news in the sense that I think we're all hoping that it ends up just being like, oh, gosh, who is it? Um – I'm blanking on it, but there's another front office that, that hired a manager and everybody was like, oh, this is going to be their – or hired an ex-manager. And they said, oh, this is going to be the new manager. And I think he's just been sitting around for like four or five years. Um, but, yeah, I mean I think we're all hoping – many of us are hoping at least that it's kind of just like that under under the radar, just kind of like we'll pick him up and then you know not actually make a manager, maybe keep him in a true role, uh, like a true just front office back kind of side role. But <laughs> I don't think any of us are that naive to think it's just so simple. Um, it's, but what was weird about it, I, maybe not weird, but what is interesting, I think, though, is that um, he has, like, very little it, – it's not like it's – like they picked up um, – God, what's his name from the Orioles? Uh, Buck Showalter. Mm-hmm. You know, like somebody who has years and years of experience. I mean, Matheny only has whatever it was, four or five years um, so it's not like they're just kind of, you know, backburning this super, you know, popular name. And it, so it could truly be just a front office gig. Um, but I don't know. I, I think most of us expect them to be the heir apparent at this point. Yeah. And sometimes teams, I think, hire guys that have just gotten fired and give them kind of a vague job. So just so they can have a holding you know, place yeah. to get a paycheck for a year before they get a hired as a manager somewhere else. But I think with the Royals, you know, the precedent's there because, yeah. you know, they hired Ned Yost as a, as a special advisor after he was fired by the Brewers. And they still had, you know, they already had a manager in Trey Hillman at the time. 
And, you know, of course, we, you know, everyone began to speculate, is, is Ned Yost the next manager? And sure enough, Ned Yost was the next manager when Trey Hellman got fired. So, you know, I think that's why and we know Ned Yost is on a one-year contract. And I think there's been a lot of speculation that he's going to retire after this year or, or maybe next year. Uh, so I think, it, you know, Matheny's a pretty young guy, and, and he seems like the kind of guy that um, the Royals would love in their, in their, in their manager's spot uh, because he is very old-school uh, yeah. he's all about kind of, uh, you know, character and values and, uh, you know, playing baseball the way it used to be played with the, you know, the toughness they used to play the game with. Uh, so I, I get why they are interested in him. Uh, but man, it just seemed like this year was such a train wreck with him and not just this year. I mean, it seemed like it's, it's uh, this clubhouse in St. Louis was, was, uh, really a place of disarray for a lot of years and and we don't know exactly all that went on in there and and all we have is like the accounts of a couple disgruntled players and mostly bernie micklass who's a columnist with in st louis who yeah some people said he had an axe to grind with with matheny and the cardinals but um there's certainly enough there to be concerned i think just the way like tommy fan blasted the organization after he was traded colton wong i guess had a up and down relationship with with uh, Matheny and uh, uh, you know Jordan Hicks, the, the way he was kind of, yeah, you know, mentored Hazed. would be one way of putting it. Hayes would be another way of putting it by Bud Norris, the veteran reliever. Um, that was a very public, um, you know, that was that was made very public in the Athletic. So, I, you know, someone I think one of our readers put it best. It sounded like it was, you know, Matheny's Ned Yost without all the positive <laughs> traits of, of Ned Yost, which is you know, managing a clubhouse really well and getting along yeah. with the guys and getting a cohesive uh, a group together. Um, but, uh, you know, you're right. He's not a very uh, experienced manager, which makes me think maybe he could learn. You know, and Sean Thornton kind of brought that up a little bit um, when he said don't panic because, you know, there's been a lot of managers that were disasters in their first go-around and then kind of became pretty good competent managers. Like, you know, Ned Yost, say what you will about him. Um, he did win a World Series, but he was, you know, he was fired kind of embarrassingly with the Brewers. Um, so, and he kind of, maybe he learned from that, you know, Terry Francona wasn't, didn't do great in Philadelphia. And then he went to Boston and Cleveland and had success. And Joe Torrey, you know, was a disaster in St. Louis and went on to success with the Yankees. So, uh, you know, Matheny never coached or managed anywhere before St. Louis. Yeah. So maybe that was like his, you know, his test run. And he learned a lot from that, but I, you know, I think there's enough there to be very, very concerned. The fact that he's old school, the fact that he he shunned analytics, and the fact that he just didn't seem to run, be able to run a clubhouse at all, uh, it's pretty concerning. So I, yeah. I don't know. Like, if you had to put money on it right now, would you? Would he, he would be the odds-on favorite, oh, yeah. would he not? To be the yeah, it's got to be. I don't know Gambly very well, but it's got to be the negative, the negative odds, or not the negative odds, the negative whatever it is, like negative two hundred or whatever. He's the favorite for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, however you say that in betting terms. Um, and it's, I was thinking it's not the same, I guess, but it's the Phillies. They've got Charlie Manuel and Larry Boa as their front office. But I mean, those are completely different than Matheny. They've been around forever. Those two. Um, and they're 30 years older than him. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's pretty much the odds on favorite. And like you said, he fits all that stuff that they're probably looking for. Um, uh, and you know, as some readers had mentioned, and uh, you know, obviously his beliefs, um, not just on his religious, but kind of his personality and his—I um, can't think of his just his general philosophy himself. Uh, you know, fits the organization's mold from, like I said, for both a religious and kind of like a personality uh, standpoint to where you know it's about strength and overcoming and will and stuff like that. So he fits a lot of it. Not only with you know has the experience, fits the kind of more scouting player um, role. Uh, and then also kind of has that belief system that aligns fairly closely with what the Royals um, internal belief system is. It was also interesting that um, I think earlier this year, Ned Yost made the comment that he thought his successor was on his, in the organization at yeah. the time, yeah. which made, you know, made, made us think that he, he wanted to kind of handpick his successor. Yeah. Um, and then at Dayton Moore's end of the year press conference, someone brought up that exact, almost that exact quote and said, Hey, is the is the Ned Yo successor? Is he on the staff right now? You know, and Dayton Moore said, "I never said that." You know, like I, you know, we'll we'll look yeah. at all sorts of um, <clears throat> of, of candidates, 
And I think Jeffrey Flanagan had a piece about how, or no, it was John Hammond, I think, that said they preferred someone with managerial experience uh, to, to lead this team in the future. So it makes me kind of think that, uh, that maybe there, there is a difference of opinion there. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not privy to information. I'm just kind of speculating here. But, you know, the way they've talked in public, it sounds like Ned Yost wants one of his coaches to succeed him. And which makes sense. I mean, it's someone he knows and and can trust and to, to, to kind of carry on his legacy. Uh, and you have some pretty good candidates. Dale Svein, um, you know, didn't do a great job at the Cubs, but he didn't have much talent there either. Pedro Grafal uh, is a candidate, I guess, for the Orioles job right now. Uh, okay. And and he's been a pretty good, um, pretty good clubhouse guy. The, the players seem to like him a lot. And he's been a been good at getting getting analytics implemented with the team a little bit. And then you've got uh, Vance Wilson, the, the bullpen coach, who I've heard a lot of great things about him as a minor league manager. He kind of came up through the system. Uh, so you got, and, and Mike Drishley, as some people have mentioned, is, is, is a possible manager as well. So it's just interesting that the, the, the front office may have a completely different view on that. They may want to get someone more experienced, which you kind of understand that because Dayton Moore did the inexperienced manager before yeah. with Trey Hillman, and that was a disaster. And then he went with an experienced manager, and Ned Yost, and had more success. So maybe he feels like with with another rebuild, they want to kind of put things in in hands that that know what they're doing a little bit. I don't know, but yeah, I wonder if uh, and I just googled it; I couldn't find it. Uh, how long, um, or or when it was that. Yost had said, like, I think the next guy's already in house. And then was Matheny even a quote unquote free agent at that point? No, he was still, I think it was at the okay. beginning of the year. Yeah, he was still with the okay. final, so. so, yeah, so, so maybe, maybe, maybe that was the case at one point. Right. But, you know, then Matheny came up and, um, because definitely Matheny was gone by the end of the year when Moore would have had his press conference. So, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I like anybody in house already necessarily. I mean, I don't know. You just see every single, well, not every single, but most new managers now um, are, you know, the kind of hybrid of half analytics now, half, you know, kind of player manager. So yeah, yeah. and a lot of the, a lot of the successful ones certainly are, um, especially with the Astros and um, with the Brewers, and then um, although he's not successful yet, uh, David Bell or whoever was the Reds just hired um, has kind of promised to be kind of that hybrid mix so i mean there might be people internally that could fit that um but you know it's almost an outside hire might not be the worst thing yeah well one thing we know is that we will have ned yost in the dugout at least one more year um we'll see if he decides to step down after that and 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 then we can worry more about matheny at that point but uh as for now ned yost will still be the manager matheny will be confined to his special advising um but let's uh, let's let's talk about on the field. The Royals made a couple minor transactions, I guess you could say. They have to get their forty-man roster in check for uh, the Rule Five draft, which is coming up. And they not, they didn't have a lot of guys they had to add this year. I mean, it's a pretty thin system. They added uh, Scott Blewett, right-handed pitcher, and uh, right-handed pitcher Arnaldo Hernandez, and right-handed pitcher Josh Stamont. Um Notable guys they left off were Frank Schwindel, the first baseman. Uh, Elier Hernandez, uh, and then p- former first-round pick Foster Griffin. All those guys are eligible for the Rule Five Draft. Uh, and then I guess we should mention your guy, yeah. Chase Velo, was also former first-round pick. Former first-round pick. So, just kind of your impressions on who they decide to to to, to carry and who they decide yeah. to to leave unprotected, and and what that says about the state of the system. Yeah, um, I don't know. I. <sighs> I don't know about so with with Starling. I mean, Starling was non-tendered. He didn't need to be added. Um, but like, I'm just kind of wrapping kind of all those together, and we, we'll get to the non-tenders, I guess, in just a bit. But I'm just thinking of guys that like I'd rather have on the roster than not. Starling's one of the guys I'd rather have on the roster than like someone like Cuthbert or Roselle Herrera. But um, like, you know, Blewett is is fine. That's a fine pick. That's a guy that's in Double A that you could foresee because i think a lot of times with the rule five it's not so much as like we want this guy on our 40 man and we know we're going to play him next year or you know soon sometimes it's just we don't want other teams to have this guy um at this point and that might be a little bit more what blew it is because there's almost no way blew it um is starting out of the year you know he's going to break camp um out of spring training with the big league team he's going to go back to either double a or probably go to triple a uh, but he's still one of those guys that 
you know, they like enough that they just they didn't want him getting taken. Um, and that's fine. I think Blewett's a fine addition there. Same thing with um, Hernandez. Um, he's definitely a guy that the Royals like a lot more maybe than everybody else. And I guess that's true for any team and their prospects. But uh, Hernandez is a guy that's kind of doesn't get a lot of love. He's a little bit older, um, but he kind of shot up the system quick. And, you know, everything I've heard is they really, really like Hernandez. Um, and then Stalmont. I mean, I'm pretty sure we all know the tale on Stalmont. You know, can throw. I mean, in college, he's hitting 103 in Pomona. Um, I think he went to Pomona or Azusa, Azusa State. Um, hit 103, has a crazy curveball, but, you know, might as well be pitching with his eyes closed because he doesn't know where it's going. <laughs> um, and so Stalin's a guy that I for sure like on the 40 man. Um, I could give, you know, I could give or take on Blue or Hernandez, uh, but Stalin's a guy that they absolutely needed to protect. Um, even if, even if you, even if they end up DFAing him next year to get him off the 40 man, it's still, he's a guy that I think somebody probably would have taken because, the whole, the, not the whole point, but the often point with pitchers um, in the Rule Five is that it's just guys that you want to be able to take and then stash in, you know, the bullpen um, as long as you can, as you know. And so I think that's what would have happened with Stamon. Someone would have just taken him, stashed him in the bullpen, especially a team that just is completely rebuilding. Um, but you could see someone like the Astros taking him, you know, and then turning him, you know, fixing him analytically and then turn him into a, a monster. So. Um, I think that's a good. And then the guys who didn't get added, yeah, Griffin. Um, I was never a big fan of Griffin necessarily. Uh, I think at one point, I think, I think I ranked him as high as eighth in the system at one point, like way back in 2014 or 15. Um, but I don't know. He just he was supposed to be super polished out of Florida as a as a young guy, and then really wasn't so much and then never came around nothing you know none of his pitches took steps forwards and i don't know he's just really really unexciting so and i can't see anybody taking him and if they take him then you know uh best of luck to him and i hope he is good somewhere else if he does get taken but no reason to protect him and of course what can i say about my my boy uh chase Volo? um you know i i knew he wouldn't be taken uh but or you know i know he wouldn't be added or nobody would take him but uh, poor guy. He's he's long off my prospect list now, and I've I, I've eaten crow on that one certainly. <laughs> well, it just shows how hard it is to to break yeah. the clear pass for these guys. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I thought it was interesting they they chose. I thought Foster Griffin was kind of a given to be protected, huh. and I thought Blewett might get left out, but they would, he would probably get selected. I guess in my mind, I've always kind of uh, grouped those two guys together. Not that they're similar. I mean, Griffin's left-handed, Blewett's right-handed. Blewett came out of high school. Griffin came out of college. Uh, but No, Griffin was high school. Oh, Griffin was high school as well. Okay. Yeah, Florida. So, but they're, or, yeah, they're roughly the same age, and Griffin's left-handed, and I, their numbers are kind of similar-ish. Um, yeah. But I thought Griffin's maybe were a tad more impressive. I don't know. I, I was a little surprised I left him off just because – mostly because of the left-handed thing. Yeah. Just because teams always love left-handed guys, uh, I don't think he's going to get selected. But um, yeah, I just yeah. it seemed like the kind of guy that they would like to protect usually. But yeah, yeah, and I mean they both were drafted in 2014, so they have that connection. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I mean I get you, but I, I think they like I think Blewett's stuff. Not that I, I wouldn't even say I think I think it's fairly well um, agreed upon that Blewett's stuff is a little bit better, even if it's not blowaway kind of stuff. Um, but you know. I can see I can see maybe liking I could see someone liking Griffin a little bit more as like not that Griffin's polished, but like he kinda is who he is. I think Blewett's got a little little more shakier command. Um I think he could put like a forty, forty five, and Griffin could be like a fifty. So I could see someone liking Griffin more. Um, you know, kind of a little better secondaries, like just barely better secondaries, but Blue's got a little better fastball and probably uh, uh, Griffin's actually probably got a better curve and change. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see it either way. Um, like Griffin would be someone the Indians uh, would really like to have like in the rotation, kind of meet some of the players that they've got. And then like Blue, it's like a guy that um, I don't know, like the Rays or something might like. So uh, but I, I could see liking Griffin um, just because you kind of know what you're going to get, and it's, he could be a, a pretty solid, you know, back end guy. But it still takes a little bit of projection. He's not ready to be there yet. So, and Russ and Dodd actually had an interesting piece. He had a mailbag article for the Athletic this week, and he mentioned um, 
kind of the Royals bullpen options and you know they're probably going to pursue a couple free agents and he said you know watch out for Richard Lovelady of course but then he also oh, mentioned yeah. as a possible bullpen option Scott Blewett which is kind of interesting just because Blewett has been a starter and kind, yeah. of, kind of an underwhelming starter so far uh, but I don't know the, is he the kind of guy that you think could transition well into a bullpen role I mean what's what's the kind of velocity we're talking about right now no, I mean, I, I I think he does best kind of where he is um, in the rotation. I mean, he's not someone that's you know stuff is gonna is just gonna all of a sudden skyrocket up or anything like that. Um, you know, so I think I think you're better off with just keeping him in the rotation, if only because he's yeah he's never been like great in the rotation, um, and he's like more low nineties rather than being like a guy that you could see bump up to ninety eight or something. Um, so no, I think he's someone that should just be sticking the rotation until he proves that he can't be a starter and not that he hasn't proved that he can be. Um, but it's not like his command is so awful or, um, uh, his stuff will play up. I mean, at best you're hoping for like a back end kind of guy. And I mean, I don't know. They gave Birch Smith some starts in the rotation or, or no, uh, or he Philmeyer too. So, I mean, like that's what you're getting, yeah. you know, it's, it's not like it's going to be a make or break thing. He's either going to be good or he's really not going to that like, you know, Smith and Philmeyer were. And then you, uh, you kind of alluded to it and the Royals did some more massaging with the 40 man roster this week uh, by non tendering four players, outfielder and former first round pick Bubba Starling, first baseman, Samir Duenes and pitchers, Jason Adam and Andres Machado, and if you're wondering why they non-tendered them as opposed to like designating them for assignment, I think it's a way to circumvent the waiver process. All the teams you'll see them do this occasionally with players that aren't eligible for arbitration necessarily. It's just a good way to get them off the 40-man roster without exposing them to waivers. And if you have players that are willing to kind of re-sign on minor league deals, which according to Jeffrey Flanagan, it sounds like these guys are close to signing minor league deals with the Royals, then it's a nice way to kind of retain your inventory without um, and and get those 40 men roster spots so I don't know if if this is the end of the line with Bubba Starling uh, do you want to give the kind of the elegy for for Bubba Starling's uh, Royals career Uh, and what do you uh, I don't do you have any impressions on these on these non-tenders well I've got a lot and maybe maybe I'll consider writing something about Starling because uh, one Starling actually and looking back on it it sounds insane but um, and I've talked to people about this that Starling was one of the best draft prospects, you know, from when he was ta- in the kind of three or four year period around the time he was taken, because that was around the time of the Harper and Strasburg and I, no, not David Price, that's a little earlier. Um, but Starling was legit one of the better draft prospects, kind of in a three or four year time frame of around when he was drafted. Um, and, you know, it wasn't like the Royals just, like, grabbed some random guy or, you know, said, oh, instead of taking Rendon, let's just get this, you know, Joe Schmo. Um, Sterling was a legit, very good draft prospect, a, a guy that uh, other teams would have taken. Who knows, the Nationals might have taken him if the Royals took Rendon or uh, or any of the other pitchers that were ahead of Starling, taken, a, taken before Starling if they took him. And then, I mean – it's 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 not like Starling was out of nowhere. So I, I will to this day defend the pick of Starling. Um, I think that's very easy to do, and it just never came around. Of course, he was hurt a bit, um, but the most important tool that any prospect needs, I think, for you know, to be a legit everyday big league player, it's got to be the hit tool um, across the board for any position or anything really, unless you're just such an amazing defender. And Starling's a very very good defender, but even like. Uh, and Jolton Simmons needs to have like a, a 45 or 50 hit tool to, to have impact. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely am sad uh, that if this is the end of the line, but I'll, I'll defend that pick until the, the day I die. No, I think it's really good that you point that out because I have seen, you know, a lot of negative comments, uh, you know, what a stupid pick it was. And, you know, it didn't work out. It's, look, the Royals look really stupid now because so many players that were taken after him ended up being just excellent major league players, Francisco Lindor, Anthony Rendon, Jose Fernandez, you know, rest in peace, but he was a very good player, you know, when he was alive. Uh, Even, you know, Archie Bradley's become a very useful uh, player. So, yeah, it looks really bad, but, but yeah, Bubba Starling was a consensus top 10, if not top five uh, draft 
draftee, so draft pick, uh, as a prospect. And, you know, there was enormous pressure on the Royals to take a local kid. And that shouldn't be a factor, but it, it can't help but be a factor, especially when Albert Pujols was at that time one of the best players in the universe, and he had come from their backyard in Kansas yeah. City. So I totally understand. And, I, you know, at the time I was supportive of, the, of, uh, of it. Uh, I, I liked Anthony Rendon, but I thought, you know, look, if if it, I like both of these guys and this is the local kid, you know, maybe maybe you know give a, a, an inch to the local kid and see what he can do. And you know, Bubba's gotten a lot of criticism, and you know, look, he got a seven and a half million dollar bonus, largest in franchise history, I believe. Yep. So you know, he, I'm sure he can handle himself. You know, but you know, it's not like he wasn't out there busting his butt. Uh, you know, trying. It's it's hard to hit professional pitching and yep. and he and he unfortunately he just could never make enough contact to and, and all he had to do is make you know just a reasonable amount of contact and i think his his pop and his speed would have played at, at pretty high levels but for what you know he just wasn't yeah. able to work out and i'm looking at and i'm looking at so this is just baseball america's uh 2011 draft prospects um so the best guy they have listed brindone didn't even go one overall um I think he was hurt as yeah, well. Yeah, he had right? a he had a shoulder injury, I believe. That, um, yeah. But I mean, they've got you know Rendon, Bundy, Cole, Holtzen, Bauer, Starling. Um, so Starling was behind that all those pitchers there. But here's my point: is I want to say is that here's the people ranked after Starling, which shows you how hard the draft is. Lindor, Bradley, George Springer, Sonny Gray, uh, Daniel Norris, Javier Baez, Jose Fernandez. I'm just scrolling through. C.J. Cron, Colton Wong. Tons of people here that yeah, Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, it just gives tells you how hard uh, Jorge Lopez, who the Royals have now, uh, Trevor Story. I mean, there's just so many guys that it's impossible. I mean, the, the draft is really, really hard. And any any single pick, it, it's really, really not stupid. But any any single pick, it's really unfair to say, oh, man, what were they thinking? You know, or like, oh, they're so bad at drafting. They took Bubba Starling and he busted. That's not a fair criticism. You know, when you line up four or five of those in a row over several years, yeah, that's a criticism. But, you know, it was a bad pick in a vacuum. It was a fine pick, though. Yeah, and then people say, some people wonder, like, oh, the Royals cursed. And, look, they haven't had very good drafts the last couple of years. I think that's pretty pretty obvious. But yeah. they are far from the only team that, that busts on first-round picks. You know, like the, the Astros, who we consider a very smart team, ahead of the curve, they had the number one pick in four consecutive years, or three consecutive years. They got Carlos Correa in one of them, but in back-to-back drafts, they got Mark yeah. Appel, who's out of baseball, and Brady Aiken, who has never He's been healthy, and, yeah. and is in Cleveland now, so or with the Indians organization at least. So, it's hard. It's not an exact science, and 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 there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot that really responsibility lies on these these players too to to kind of get their careers going, and some guys just aren't suited for the major leagues, and it's it's, it's hard to find. Yep. Hard, hard to decide that when they're 18-year-old kids. So. Yep, and I'll say that uh, Starling, the year after he got drafted, uh, would be actually be the winter after he got drafted. He was ranked by Baseball America as the, top, as the number 24 prospect, MLB.com as the number 17, and BP as the 27. So not only was he a really good draft prospect, out of the – I mean, the following winter, he was a, a basically a top 20 prospect in baseball. Yeah. So, I mean, he, I think the pick was good at least. Well, he's he's now officially a free agent. Uh, yeah. One of I I saw I think I read it was like thirty nine players were non tendered on Friday as free agents. That's up from the year before when there were about twenty six players oh, non tendered. Okay. So huh. there's a there's a, a larger non tender free agent class. I like non tenders a lot because they're typically younger players and and yeah. you can kind of get them at a cheaper deal. So I don't know if you've had a chance to look over some of the non tenders. Are there any well, any names that pop out you think that help could help the Royals? Well, and, and to your point as well, the non-tenders are typically – the reason you get non-tendered is because your arbitration um, cost is going to be maybe a little too high. Mm-hmm. Like very few guys get non-tendered when they're making just like the league minimum necessarily. Right. Um, you know, those are guys you can just kind of pay them to go kick it in AAA or something. Um, but a lot of the guys who get non-tendered are, you know, like Jonathan Scope um, – I mean, he's going to be projected to make, I think it was like $10 million in arbitration. And I mean, he's had really good years. So these aren't just like random guys that you have no idea what they're going to get necessarily. They just were too expensive. Um, but of course, now that they're non-tendered, they aren't going to be ARB eligible that year. Um, so you can sign for whatever. But 
as far as like helping out the Royals, you know, guys that make sense. I mean, there's sometimes a non-tenders that, you know, like, like Jonathan Scope, like he could be a two win player, but I don't know if the Royals really need, really need to pay Scope six million or whatever for two wins. Um, but we had mentioned, and I think we both agreed about this. Shelby Miller yep. um, was a good one. We talked about that on Twitter, you and I, just for a small thing. Um, definitely a guy that you could see in that swingman role, which I think would be really interesting. Um, Do you think his days of starting, uh, being a starting pitcher yeah, are over? Probably. Yeah. N- not only because of the injuries, but because of the ineffectiveness as well when he has been. I mean, when was that? It seems like it was 10 years ago um, that he had that like three-win season where he was you know, good in Atlanta and um, – yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't believe he's only 28 years old. It seems like he's been around forever. Yeah, uh, yeah it was 2013, I want to say? 12. Okay, 12 was 12. his debut. Yeah. yeah. So, and I mean, he had a good debut, uh, 1.185 FIP as a 21-year-old. I mean, yeah, I mean, and he was a huge prospect to begin with uh, yeah. with the Cardinals. So, yeah, I mean, that's a guy that I think that they could definitely, um, and he's healthy now. It's not like when, I forget who just picked up Garrett Richards, but you know, it's not like the two-year deal where you sign him for one year. You know he's going to be out the whole year. Then you get him for the next year. Yeah. Uh, he's he's ready to go now and could play that swingman role. Um, I mean, really, it's it's going to be guys like and then like Brad Boxberger. I mean, I'm just thinking of like pitching. That's really about it. Um, the Royals are pretty loaded as far as guys to try out um, on the position player side. I don't think that there's is there like a big hole I'm missing somewhere that you think that like they could fill in at least like with a guy that they could flip or no, it seems like it's usually just in the bullpen, right? Yeah. I think the only thing would be maybe a guy that could back up shortstop. You know, it depends. Oh, yeah. it, it depends how you feel about third base right now. If like, if you believe in Hunter Dozier's late season surge uh, and the Chesler Cuthbert can kind of bounce back, then maybe, then maybe you're fine at third base. If you don't believe in that, then maybe you get someone to hedge your bets. Um, I, I think you're fine going off of those guys. Yeah, uh, there's not. It's like Yang Yang Solerte is probably better than those guys, but he's also like 31 years old. Yeah, and it's right. like, well, I'd rather see what Cuthbert and Dozier can do. Um, so it, you know, maybe uh, a shortstop like uh, you know, I don't even know if Wilmer Flores plays much short. Oh, Ronald Torres for the uh, yeah was with the uh, Yankees uh, last year. Yeah, he was traded to the Cubs and then they non-tendered him like the next day, which is an unusual transaction, but. Um, you know, he's a guy that could fill in at shortstop and play all over the field. Might be a useful uh, utility infielder, and can yeah. and he's young enough to to kind of fit in with what they're doing. So he might make some sense. Uh, I like you know Boxberger and Miller. I think those are good ideas. Um, you know, the Royals probably need. You know, I think they they should be looking for someone who can be a closer for them that they could potentially flip at the deadline. Yeah. Honestly, you know, the kind of the Jonathan Broxton model where you're probably not going to get anything, anything great for them, but who knows? You know. The teams value relievers more than they used to, and if someone kind of has a breakthrough year, then then maybe you can make it a you know get some assets for that. So, uh, you know, Boxberger fits that role. I think Blake Parker for the Angels was kind of a surprising oh, yeah. non-tender. He saved 14 games for them last year, had an ERA in the low threes, pretty good strikeout numbers. A little bit wild. He's a little bit older too. He's like 33, but you know, sign him to a one-year deal. See if he can still be a closer and and try to flip him at, in July if he's having a good season. Um, let's see, there's another, there's a couple of useful relievers out there. Hunter, Hunter Strickland. So he's the guy that uh, got into a chew, uh, a jawing match with Salvador Perez during the 2014 World Series. So he may oh. not be welcome in the Royals clubhouse, but if they're able to get over that, um, you know, he's he's put up some some decent numbers as a reliever for the Giants. I believe he was our closer at the beginning of the year, uh, and you know he's around 30 years old. But he's another guy that I think you could probably get him on a one-year deal and try to flip him at the deadline. Um, Matt Bush, who has certainly had some off-field issues, but I think he's put a lot of that behind him. Uh, if you are willing to take the chance with him, um, you know he's put up some decent numbers in the past and has pretty good velocity. So um, yeah, there's a couple of bullpen arms out there. I think that's I think you're right. That's probably going to be more uh relievers uh maybe a starting pitcher probably not any position players um yeah yeah i mean i think um the one guy that's interesting i mean i don't know where the hell they'd put him but um billy hamilton got non-tendered that, that came up a lot on twitter <laughs> yeah that'd be a fun one i mean yeah <laughs> there's nowhere to put him and he absolutely cannot hit um but i don't know it would be interesting to see billy hamilton out there at least well, center field isn't like super set. I mean, they've got Bri- Brett Phillips and, and Brian Goodwin out there. 
Uh, and Hamilton's probably not good enough to be a full-time starter anymore. Not that he ever was, really. But, yeah. Um, and someone, uh, one, uh, one of the reporters, John Heyman or someone, uh, said that the Royals were one of four teams that had had, had, uh, had a lot of interest in Hamilton a lot in the past. Yeah. So it's not crazy to think they could bring him in. Um, yeah. And, man, <laughs> for fantasy, fantasy baseball purposes, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you're talking about a guy who gets on base about 30% of the time, but he um, – the Royals, if if the Royals had Hamilton, they they could very well have three players, one, two, three, in stolen bases in the American League. Which oh would be, yeah, which would be uh, really interesting, especially since no one else in the league really steals bases anymore. No. <laughs> so, yeah, could be an interesting one, but unrealistic. But still, yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I don't know if the Royals will dabble into free agency that much, uh, but we'll find out. You know, the, the they probably need some relievers. They may need some depth. Uh, and they will probably get a chance to, to look over some free agents and maybe even talk about a few deals at the winter meetings that start on December 9th uh, through the 13th in Las Vegas, Nevada this year. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of speculation, I think, over Whit Merrifield. I think he's probably the only Royals player that is going to have a lot of trade rumors around him. I've seen a lot of trade proposals from other fan sites. They all seem pretty ridiculous to me. Uh, really undervaluing Wit. Yeah. Um, do you expect him to get traded this offseason? I know the Royals have kind of said, well, he's part of our future, but they haven't completely shut the door. Yeah, no, I don't think. I mean, should they? Yes, but will they? No. Um, I mean, it just doesn't seem like they're going to, you know, I forget what the quote was, but it sounds like they think that uh, Merrifield's going to be, you know, under control inside of their window. Um, now, whether that's his fifth year of arbitration or um, whatever, you know, his final year or his second to last year of arbitration, um, who knows? But it seems like they can foresee a window that they're going to be kind of, quote unquote, in contention and then also still have Merrifield. So I don't see them moving him. Um, and part of that seems like it's because Merrifield definitely has a lot of value. I think I put I forget what it was, but I mean I ran the kind of numbers and I think he was worthy of at least like a top twenty to top thirty prospect in baseball. The problem is though that I think that I, I don't know if anybody's going to pay that for Merrifield mm-hmm. necessarily, um, just because it's tough to give up like you know uh, a top twenty baseball prospect. I was just trying to think one off the top of my head, but it's it's, it's just really hard to be like oh yeah. Let's go trade one of these guys for you know a future guy uh, for a thirty-year-old all-star for yeah. America. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think his age is really working against him just because you see when you see players of his value and his years of control left get traded and they get do get traded for those top thirty prospects. They're, they're usually like twenty-five-year-old players. You know, it's yeah. like they you see five good years in front of them. What Merrifield like? Yeah, maybe he has five more good years. Maybe he only has two or three. But you don't know. I mean, he could fall off a cliff. You know, once you get your thirties, it you know, things can things start changing for for a lot of players. So, and especially yeah. you know, there's I don't know if this has ever been kind of proven empirically, but you know, there's a school of thought that second basemen don't age well. They 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 typically hit that wall like Carlos Baerga and and, and Edgardo Afonso, and they typically decline pretty rapidly. So, you know. I, you know, maybe Wit will buck that trend, or maybe that's never really been a a trend, and that's just kind of been old conventional wisdom that's wrong. But I think teams will be apprehensive about that. And I, I think you're right. I don't think teams are going to be paying top, you know, top dollars as far as prospects for a 30 year old. Um, yeah. But you know, we'll what? see. You know, he's got he's got an interesting skill set. He's got positional versatility, which is kind of in vogue right now. And um, yep. I don't like know. the Nationals, the Nationals need a second baseman, probably. I mean, I don't think Howie Kendrick's going to cut it anymore. Um, and, you know, they're in contention and be a huge upgrade, but they're not going to give you Victor Robles for, right. you know, for Merrifield. Value-wise, I mean, it, it's pretty close to equal value. And I think maybe, if I'm recalling it right, Merrifield might actually have more value, you know, when you think of it from a pure number standpoint. But, you know, if Moore called up and said, hey, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you Merrifield, you give me Robles, and maybe Robles plus it would be a no. And I think every Royals fan would take that, would take that deal, but it's not realistic in the sense that, you know, there's that name value and it's kind of the similar course when it's like with Chapman, like uh, when the Reds traded away Chapman or, um, or I guess even when the Yankees traded Chapman, I should say, uh, that it's like, you know, 
trading Chapman or trading someone like uh, like Ken Giles, uh, it's you get a name value with Chapman that you go they go wow we have you know Chapman and when he comes out of the bullpen there's just much more name value there's his skill but then there's also that built-in kind of extra name value so it's tough to compare like a Chapman trade to another really good reliever trade like with the Edwin Diaz and Mariners trade it's like yeah Edwin Diaz is super valuable but he's not Chapman and that's kind of what I think with we get with Merrifield it's like Merrifield is super value but he's not Jose Altuve you know, it's yeah. it's not something where that he could have equal value as somebody else, but his name brand just isn't quite as headline grabbing. You know, well maybe it is in Japan since he makes so many visits yeah. over there. <laughs> yeah. Do, would you would you take quant, uh, quantity over quality with Wit? Like, say a team gave you like, well, and not quantity over quality, but just like, would you take like more prospects if they weren't necessarily elite prospects, but maybe like. Someone said they would give you like three top 150 prospects and a couple of lottery tickets instead of like that top 30 guy. Would that make mm. it more palatable? Yeah, like I would take – so I would take like a top 20 prospect over two top 60 prospect. Like like I, I would take the number 18 overall instead of like the number 64 and the number of like 53 or something. Um but like I wouldn't take, but no. But if it was like, oh, we'll give you the 40th best prospect in baseball, or we'll give you like the 66 and the 73rd, it's like okay, I'll take the I'll take the 66 and 73rd. Um, or even if it was, you know, it depends on what part of that scale you're at. Anybody in the top 20, I think, supersedes two of anyone behind them, really, um, unless it's like 21, 22. Um, but you know, with Merrifield, if you're kind of going back to that name value, I think that. What you can, the most that you could really ask for and expect to get is going to be like maybe a guy in the 60 to 80 range, and then, you know, a guy pushing that 90 to 110 ish range, and then probably like a 150 ish guy. So I would take that. Um, Merrifield's worth more than that, but I just don't think you're going to get more than that for him, you know? Yeah. I, I would not expect with Merrifield to get traded this offseason. Maybe, you know, I think they may revisit it, but yeah, he's not I don't think he's gonna get traded no. this offseason. Uh you know, but if there are any trade rumors, you know, rest assured we will be all over it. Uh, although I do sense that there is already some like trade with Merrifield trade rumor fatigue among the readers, just like uh you know, Eric Hosmer contract rumor fatigue last year. So, you know, we'll we'll try to de- we'll strike a delicate balance there and not inundate you with every single trade uh, trade rumor and proposal out there. Uh, and speaking of trades, real quick, just came across the wire. Um, Phillies just traded Segura to – or excuse me, Mariners just traded Philly. Good Lord. Mariners just traded Segura to the Phillies for J.P. Crawford, former top five prospect. Oh, interesting. Um, hmm. So the – and this is what you would hope the Royals could be because overnight – I mean, practically overnight. The Mariners started their rebuild literally 12 days ago as of December 2nd. Um, and they've already moved up, according to Fangraphs. They've, they've went from basically dead last, probably the 30th best farm system, to now more in that mid-range area. And then they just picked up John Crawford, who was a top-five prospect. Um, so when you really, really do these rebuilds well and you say, okay, we got to tear this down – this is how quickly you can turn your farm system around. I mean, they picked up just since the 12th. I mean, just since uh, uh, November 20th when Paxton was traded, uh, they picked up, or I guess November 19th, uh, they picked up Justice Sheffield, probably a top 30 prospect, uh, Jared Kalanick, uh, whose name I will never be able to pronounce right. There's like eight different ways to pronounce that, but they picked him up, probably a top 40-ish prospect, maybe higher. Justin Dunn, both those guys are first-round picks. Uh, Swanson, uh, Batista. Now they picked up J.P. Crawford, Thompson, William. I mean, they've they've completely re. I mean, these aren't like number one, number two overall prospects, but they've added a ton of talent that they didn't have literally 13 days ago. They didn't even have this much talent, and now they've just completely rebuilt their farm. Uh, you know, taking a big, big step forward, and they still have other assets they can trade. So, I, I think this is exactly what the Royals should be doing. I will say that. I guess my one caveat is, should they have rebuilt? Because they did win 89 games last year, and I felt like they had a young core that would be around for a couple of years. Uh, yeah, but their pitching just, I mean... Yeah, their pitching was, was definitely basically big. basically Paxton, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So I, I realize their pitching was 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 far away, but um, you know, address the pitching this year. Yeah, and you know, maybe Oakland takes a step back. I know Houston's still a, a beast in that division, and maybe yeah. you feel like you can't compete with the Yankees and Red Sox. But I, I don't know. I felt like they were closer to contention than. Not, but I don't know. Maybe maybe they regress this year, and and then you're stuck. You know, not being able to move a lot of those assets. It's yeah. it's a hard game to play. Yeah. So. What was their base runs? Um. Yeah. Base runs had them as eighty one, eighty one. Um. You know, or Pythag Pythag had them as seventy seven, eighty five. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Um. So yeah. they, yeah, by like twelve wins, they might have outperformed. You know, if you follow those numbers, and yeah, I mean they're. They don't have a first baseman. They don't have good pitching. They really don't have a catcher. Uh, they have. They're playing Ben Gamble a lot. I mean, I don't know. They they don't really have a DH uh, unless it's Cano and then you know Vogelbach. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think they did the right move, and this is what you can do. And they still have stuff left to trade. Right. I mean, so well that that can be uh, that'll be the interesting kind of segue into the the winter meetings. I think that, that it could be a really interesting one. I think we had a boring one. Last yeah. year, but um, you know, we got the big free agents Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, and of course the Mariners are making a lot of moves. I think the Reds and the Blue Jays are kind of uh, trying to be aggressive about competing this year. Um, so the Royals are probably be pretty quiet, I imagine. Probably kick the tires on on some deals, maybe. Uh, but I think you know, for Royals fans, and it maybe it's sad to say, but what we're looking forward to is the Rule Five Draft. Yeah. Uh, they got Brad Keller out of that draft last year, who proved to be one of the best rookies uh, in the league last year. Um, it seems like they'll probably make another selection this year. Do you have any kind of like rules to live by in the Rule Five draft? Is there is there kind of philosophies mm-hmm. you have that that of finding guys? No, I mean the cool thing about the Rule Five draft is that like it's not it's not permanent as far as like you can send them back. It's not like you have to take a guy then figure like, Oh, I've got to now trade him or I've, you know, it's a complete waste and it costs you nothing other than whatever it is, 25,000 bucks or whatever the cost. It might be 50. You know, it's not like it costs you a ton to acquire the guy. You don't have to trade your assets for it. You're really just paying cash for him. And if you don't like him, I mean, a day in the spring training, you can send him back to his old team. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can't say no. You just say, here, have him back and you pay whatever it is that you've got to, Pages in the back, so I, I think that's kind of the nice thing, and you can really just target like flyers, just just as many flyers as possible. Now, of course, they take room, they take up a forty-man spot, um, so you don't want to just go grab ten guys because then you know you've now run out of room for everything else. Uh, but I definitely I definitely would like to go after a pitcher, and there's tons of guys out there. Um, is there anybody? Well, and I'm still I've looked at the list, but I'm just want to recheck again. Is there anybody that you've looked at that you think you like for him? Yeah, I think um, I mean I think pitching is the way to go, just because you always need pitching, and they have a lot more holes in their pitching staff than they do in their position players. Uh, so I, I think it makes a lot of sense, and, and you know they had success last year doing that. So this year, you know, there's really one guy to me, and I wrote an article previewing you know, the Rule Five uh, draft eligible, eligible pitchers uh, that you can check out on our site. Uh, the one guy that really stands out to me is Riley Farrell for the Astros. Yeah, sure. And he's a guy that I think people were kind of surprised that wasn't protected, but you know, the Astros have a pretty loaded system. So uh, they probably don't have room for everyone. That's, that's pretty decent in their organization. Uh, but I would expect him to be one of the first guys, if not the first guy taken, um, you know, luckily if the Orioles do pass on him, the Royals will get it. They'll get to choose second. Uh, but he's a guy that I think uh, could step in right away, the bullpen and, and start contributing. Cause you know, a lot of these guys, they're, they're they pitched an A ball and you kind of have to hide them. You don't want to pitch them in a close game. Cause you know, I think we all, a lot of Royals fans, at least the older ones, remember Miguel Asensio, who was a Rule 5 draft pick and threw like 12 straight balls in his Major League debut yeah. uh, just because he was so nervous. Uh, you know, you don't want to have the, too many of those situations. So Riley Farrell is a guy who, he's never pitched in the big leagues, but he's pitched in AAA, um, and he's pitched a lot in the upper minors, and I don't think he's going to be shell-shocked to be in the Major Leagues. Um, he's had pretty good numbers, can strike guys out. Um, was a pretty highly regarded guy as a closer out of TCU, yep, TCU but yeah. um, just kind of had some injury setbacks. Um, so he's kind of past that now, and I think he can kind of step into that bullpen and and be uh, you know kind of a high fastball ninety uh, high nineties fastball slider kind of guy. Um, and so that that could be pretty useful to the Royals. And if he turns into a, a, a useful late inning reliever, then you've really found a, a nice asset there. Um, you know, typically in the past, I've really liked uh, fireballers, and there's a couple this year in the in this year's draft. But um, 
but because of where the Royals are, they have Josh Dalmont already, and they just picked up Connor Green, who we haven't talked about yet, but they got him from the Cardinals off waivers. He's another guy that can throw 98-99, but doesn't have really a good idea of where it's going. So I, I don't think it would be useful to, to get another guy like that. I think they should probably look for more more polished arms. Uh, yeah. Trevor, Trevor Clifton is another guy I kind of like yep. with the Cubs uh, who's pitched at the upper minors and seems to have a good sense of what he's doing out there. Um, he kind of you know, can kind of contribute right away. Are there any names that stand out to you at all, or have you um, had a chance to look over it all much? Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, like you got Clifton right. Like Clifton, like 2016, maybe 2017, Clifton was like a huge, huge riser in the Cub system. Um, touched 90, like eight or something. Had a had a crazy breaking ball. Um, really looked like he was star on the rise. And then I think his velo and his command. He had friendly command always, but it took this. I think it took a huge, huge step back like the next year or maybe definitely this year, but I think also a little bit last year, maybe. Um, so Clifton's a guy that's like, you know, if he could figure it out, he could really shoot back up. Um, who else was there? Um, the White Sox had, uh, what's his name? Spencer Adams. Mm-hmm. Who are, Well, uh, Spencer Adams is a guy I liked. God. And I hate, I hate that. Not that I'm old, but I hate thinking about this where I had Spencer Adams, like on my, my draft board as a guy I really liked. And now he's rule five eligible. Kind of sucks. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so Spencer Adams is the guy who was super athletic, played basketball in high school, was a, you know, big time two sport athlete and just kind of never really came around kind of like Foster Griffin never really developed. Um, uh, who else? And I, I'm just going to been scrolling through, just trying to pick up names that like, um, we said they don't really have a fit, but Derek Hill was a first round pick for the Tigers, mm-hmm. uh, really good center fielder, um, really smaller kind of guy, but never came around, never really, or never. And I mean, he's only been around for whatever it is, three years, um, but just hasn't hit. Um, you mentioned Farrell would be a really good one as well. Oh, yeah, I think that's probably about it. God dang, the, the I'm just looking at the Marlins. The Marlins have like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of their top 30 prospects are Rule 5 eligible. <laughs> yeah. um, they, oh, they, Jacob, yeah. When we're talking Jacob, about teams that bust in the draft, they're, they're another yeah. one of them. Jacob Gatewood, I remember, um, is it just an interesting name? Uh, I've, I know a lot of folks, maybe not a lot, but there were several folks on Royals Review that in his draft year, they like Gatewood. Gatewood, I think, won a home run derby. He was a shortstop back then, had probably 75, 80 grade power, played shortstop again back then. Um, and this guy just had to figure out how to hit, never turned out to hit, but has incredible power. Um, Cody Ponce is a guy for the Brewers that was a first-round pick. I'm fairly certain he was a first-round pick, um, but had some injuries, has really good like secondary stuff, but I think injuries is always what kind of plagued him. And Cody Ponce was a ah, second-round pick, but he went uh, 13th uh, overall in the second round. Anyways, Cody Ponce was a guy who was pretty good draft pick coming out of uh, college, but just kind of, I don't know, ended up getting hurt and missed a bunch. But he's the guy that I like. Uh, Tyler J., is a good is another name uh really good in college uh the twins i think he was a second round pick he was a sixth sixth overall no yeah sixth overall i'm thinking of his brother um yeah tyler j but i'm thinking of his brother as his draft pick but yeah no jay's another guy that was a high pick that um totally is a reliever uh was you know a, a, a guy that you want to stash in the bullpen but could be a guy that's pretty dang good um not as good as not as good as stuff as his brother but still um, decent. And then, yeah, I think that's, you mentioned Richie Martin, I think went to Florida. Is that right? Um, it, it would be like a utility infielder kind of guy. Um, uh, but again, you know, the Royals especially have room for that. Um, yeah, he went to Florida for sure. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else is I'm going down. Um, yeah. Uh, did I miss anybody? Anybody that you think of off while you're looking there? Uh, Martin Martin's an interesting guy. Interesting guy, just in that they are looking for like, if they are looking for a guy who can play shortstop, you know, it, it spell Montesi every once in a while and play some other positions too. I think Martin's a guy that has a bat. He can run a little bit. He can play shortstop, <laughs> um, and he's he's played double A, so that's not a huge jump. Uh, to the big leagues, but I think he's a guy that could could at least contribute a little bit. I like Tyler J a lot. I think I think you want to look, you know, looking for guys that have had some injury problems um, might be interesting because if they're healthy now, then then maybe their results are a lot better than they've been. Uh, plus, if they're not healthy, well, you can just stash them on the DL for a little bit 
and and keep him and hang on to him and see how the rehab goes and decide if you want to keep him from there. Uh, so Jay's kind of interesting just because he throws what high mid to high nineties as a left-hander. That's at least he did when he was healthy. So that's yeah. And when he's at Illinois, and he yeah, and, and, yeah, and he had a lot of injury injury problems in 2017. But um, you know that's always interesting when a left-hander throws that hard. Uh, and then Cody Reed for the Diamondbacks. Uh, not to be confused with the Cody yeah. Reed that used to pitch with the Royals. Yeah. Uh, this is a different Cody Reed, a left, but like that Cody Reed, a left-hander, uh, had really good strikeout numbers in A-ball last year, or in 2017, I should say. Um, and Cato, the Cato system at Fangraphs, was pretty high on him. Uh, but he missed all last year with uh, an elbow injury. I don't know what his status is like this year. We know if he's able to even... Uh, compete in spring training at all, but you know, pending his medicals, I, you know, he'd be kind of an interesting guy just to stash on the disabled list, see how his rehab goes, and then see what he, kind of stuff he he has when he when he's healthy again. Um, so yeah, I think the Royals are in a position where they can take a gamble like that with someone yeah. that can is hurt and, and is coming back from injury, or you know, even someone that's a little more polished and and yep. can step in right away. But, and I like. Um... Oh uh, shoot! I was just looking at it. I just oh, uh, okay. So random, and I won't go too long. This I promise. Uh, Carson Sestouli, who's one of my heroes, one of my baseball writing heroes, um, just got hired for the Blue Jays because he came up because the Blue Jays are interested in finding talent any way that they can they can do it, um, and they they hired Sestouli because he runs this fringe five leaderboard, which is like has an incredible track record of finding guys like Altuve, like Kluber. Somehow, Sestouli's method, method of finding these like fringe prospects that turn into stars is, is really good. Um, his One of his favorite Rule 5, uh, one of his favorite um, Fringe 5 guys of all time is on there. Uh, Max Schrock mm-hmm. is eligible. And uh, if there's a guy, if there's a Rule 5 guy that I'm betting will end up being good if he gets taken is Max Schrock because he's a Sestouli favorite and Sestouli has just incredibly good at finding these guys um, and he was always a favorite of them so that is my that's a guy that I think would be interesting um, to take and then oh one other guy I just wanted to mention real quick uh, Forrest Wall was a guy that I've always absolutely loved um, he, he, I have that love for second basemen who can hit and Forrest Wall just got you know, got dinged down in the draft for being a second baseman. Uh, but super fast guy, got some power, can hit a little bit. Um, probably, you know, you wish he could hit better, and that's the whole point of why he went to the Rockies uh, in the first round. But anyways, Forrest Wall is a guy that can play second base outfield, and, and I like a lot. So that would just be an interesting one. But, um, yeah, that sounds about right. Shrock is really interesting. He put up some really big numbers as a little minor leaguer. He's, he's in the Cardinals organization now. He's, he was traded for uh, – I think Stephen Piscotty, uh, he has an absurdly low strikeout rate. Yeah. Like if you were the Royals and you and you hate strikeouts and you know the Royals love guys that can just put the ball in play, like Omar Infante, like Nicky Lopez, uh, I mean Schrock, eight percent strikeout rate in the minors. Yeah. It's absurdly low. Like he had a terrible year last year, hit two forty nine, but he only struck out thirty six times in one hundred fourteen games, which in today's day and age is amazing. So. Yeah, that is kind of intriguing. He's got a little bit of speed. Um, he's hit, like I said, he's hit for average. Doesn't really have that much pop, but um, he can draw some walks. So he's, yeah, he's pretty intriguing. Not that the Royals need a second baseman, but um, you know, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think some team might, might get a nice value in there uh, with Schroeder. Yeah, and let me take that. And let me take some back. I, I don't know why Tyler J. I, and I knew who he was when he went to Illinois. I was for some reason in my head thinking of uh, Zach and Nick Birdie. Uh, but anyways, that's that. When I mentioned brothers, it's not Tyler J. It was Zach and Nick Birdie, just who I had in the back of my head. Anyways, because um, he Zach Birdie went to uh, Louisville, and for some reason that reminds me of Illinois. But anyways, so you've got, move on. You've got your bad college football teams mixed up. Ah. <laughs> well, I think that uh, we'll see what the Royals end up doing with the Rule Five Draft. I, I think I'm, we'll probably have some more names to throw at you as we kind of ramp up to to that draft and. Uh, and yeah, we'll have all the all the coverage of the winter meetings. Uh, anything else you want to want to cover? Oh, we should probably talk about Connor Green real quick. The Royals oh, picked, yeah. up, picked up Green from the Cardinals off waivers. Uh, looks like he has nice velocity. You seem to be pretty positive yeah. on the move. Yeah, sure. Um, he was definitely one of those guys that like. Uh, I mean, it's not confirmed, but 
when um, when the Blue Jays were talking about trades, and this was kind of at the height of their uh, this is like 2014, 2015, when they're in the playoffs and they were, you know, legit uh, World Series contenders and, you know, even legit World Series, um, not favorites, but winners as much as anybody who makes the playoffs are. Uh, he was one of the names that, like, when they batted around, like, who they could trade to add, like, an impact arm, whether it be David Price or, uh, you know, they actually ended up getting Price, but he was the guy that I think was like untouchable basically because he was this on the rise i think he made like a back top 100 like mid-season list and then uh everybody just thought he'd take off and then he you know he never did end up doing that um and then it was always command but yeah i mean he's a guy that i really like uh, so pre-2016 he was number 100 by bp um he definitely was a guy that like this is who should be taking bets on i mean mm-hmm. guys who can touch 100 um have fringy command but you know you're just gonna stash him in the bullpen hopefully he's only 23 he's still super young ish and yeah i mean i like this this is exactly what the Royals should be going for and you look at what it cost them to get him i mean it was a waiver claim fee and it cost them birch smith and yeah yeah if basically you're trading connor green for birch smith i mean that's a trade you make every day because yeah green is what five years younger uh throws you know good velocity and you know smith i, I like getting Birch Smith in the Rule 5 draft last year, it just didn't work out. He, it was, he was pretty yeah. terrible last year. And, and I, I'm fine with him giving him a you know, full year to figure things out. It just didn't work out. And, I'm, and kudos to the Royals for figuring that out and, and cutting bait and saying, you know what, we're going to go over the younger guy in Connor Green. And I, I think you're absolutely right. Take, take as many flyers on these kind of guys as you can, as, as, as your roster permits, because um, most of them are going to fail, but one or two of them might actually hit. And there's been more than more than a few guys in this league that have succeeded after being placed on waivers. And so, yeah. um, you know, it'd be great if, if Connor Green can be one of those guys. Uh, he probably has some experience with Cal Eldred. Uh, Eldred used to be a, I believe he was a minor league pitching instructor with the Cardinals for a little bit. So at least he'll have some familiar familiarity there, uh, which could which maybe could help him as well. So, Bush Smith was so bad. It's unbelievable <laughs> how bad he was. Uh, I mean, it's believable. I mean, he wasn't playing Boyer bad, but he was. Oh my goodness! I was gonna say when you're when you're not even when you he was he was so bad, but he was still like the yeah. fourth uh, worst. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't. He was like three. There's three guys in the pen worse than him. So. Oh man, I'm just glad. I mean, the Birchmith era ending and the Brandon Maurer era ending too. We we've done good. Yeah, I think the Royals bullpen will get a lot better. Just addition by subtraction. Just getting rid of some of the some of the really putrid performances from last year. So. Uh, hey, but they, hey, they had the work cut out for them. Brennan Maurer's got good stuff. <laughs> that, that's all I ever hear. He'll always have that. <laughs> all right, well, uh, we'll kind of wrap things up there. And uh, like I said, we'll have more coverage as we get to the uh, winter meetings. And we hope to do this, to do this uh, maybe on a more regular basis. So check back in with us in a couple weeks uh, when we talk about the winter meetings and all the all the Whitten Merrifield trade rumors. And, uh Sean, do you want to give us a sneak peek of what you're working on for, for this week? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if a sneak peek is really uh, – it, it's not as interesting as it sounds. Um, I, I've got kind of two things in the back burner, not even the back burner. One I'm actively working on and then one that's kind of like I'm also actively working on, but it's not quick. Um, the first one, which I think should be out very soon, um, when Fangraphs did their prospect valuation update, um, a lot of the talk was – the nine million per win war mm-hmm. um it's always been the standard but most of the time that's been due to kind of a backward looking process they would you know you to calculate the cost of a win in 2018 you would have looked at today you would look at the signings bef- in 2018 and what that produced as opposed to forward looking where you're going to take the dollar per win using projections um so i because i'm a hoarder a data hoarder at least uh i've got projections uh, of war dating back to 2012 um, for various systems. Um, so I'm going to use that to kind of pr- the projections to use dollar per war. And I've got a bunch of stuff like for from team by team basis and agent basis. So a couple of ways to look at it. And then the other kind of thing I'm working on um, that's taken me forever, but it's just taken a lot of work is that um, I want to compare the Royals. I think there's a lot of talk on the Royals front office um, and how analytical it is or is not. And so one thing I'm doing is I'm pulling probably about 10 different teams, every front office member. Um, I've got like the media guides and their online websites. But basically, I'm going to compare kind of how, quote unquote, analytical each front office is. The big name ones, the Astros, the Dodgers, 
the Brewers and then compare them to like the Royals or the Giants who are changed a little bit now. Um, those kind of classic uh, scouting-based against analytical-based front offices, just how they're composed. So just something I'm going to look at, uh, but that's going to you know take a little bit because I've got to go find names, figure out, you know, label them and stuff. So anyways, that's those are the two biggies. Are you going to conclude Mike Matheny as part of the analytics department? He, he is now. Um <laughs> Same thing with the Orioles. The Orioles get Mike Elias, who's a huge analytics guy. Um, so I'll I'll add them as well. Um, they got a big boost from a typically awful front office. Yeah. Well, we'll be uh, we'll look forward to that and uh, all your articles. And, and of course, you can always follow Sean's stuff at uh, on Twitter at SeanCore S H A U N C O R E. And you can also follow yep. me at Max Reaper, M-A-X-R-I-E-P-E-R. And, of course, you can also follow all of our Royals Review articles um, on Twitter at Royals Review. Uh, Sean, do you want to sign us off with your trademark? Uh, well, and I also want to say you can also follow me in various baseball chat rooms for whoever <laughs> pretends to be me. That's also Sean Core as those, a J-U-N-C-O-R. Those are all your burner accounts. We know yep. that. Yep. So, anyways, so if you, that may or may not be me. On Twitter, it's definitely me. Uh, so, anyways, yeah. Thanks, Max, and everybody have many, uh, many good days. Oh!